On today's episode, we're talking about creating superfans. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles and practices that have helped guide them to success throughout their careers? Then we take all of those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment, live events, hospitality, the service industry, your organization. Now, today we are sitting down with my friend, Brittany Hodak. And if the name sounds familiar, that's because this is episode two with Brittany. Uh, we did the first episode with Brittany about a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago. We go really in depth in that episode on her framework that is called SUPER. And it's an acronym. And without stealing the thunder, uh, go back and listen to that episode and you can hear all about it. But the reason we're having Brittany back on is because it's January 10th today and she just dropped her new book this morning. It's called Creating Superfans. We had a chance to preview it and get a, a read of it before it came out. And it's incredible. She jam-packs so many more frameworks that can help brands turn customers into superfans and ultimately drive better brand loyalty uh, and drive more intent to return and recommend in her book. So in this episode, we're going to be unpacking some of those additional frameworks and models that she's got in there for you. But if you really like what you hear in this episode with Brittany, just go check out the book. You can get it anywhere where you buy your books, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. Um, go get it, check it out. And the things that she talks about are really going to help you increase and drive more revenue and profit to your bottom line. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend and author, Brittany Hodak. Brittany, what is happening Merry Christmas, happy holidays. We are recording this during the week between Christmas and New Year's. How you how you been? I've been great. It's, you know, like the craziest time of year, but good to crazy, lots of fun stuff. Uh, I've got two little kids, so it's been it's been a fun week and a half or so. Well, you got a lot of new good a lot of new good things cooking right now. Uh, I, I want to first hear about the podcast. We legitimately have not caught up on this yet. So you just launched a podcast. Talk to us about how that's been going. You're like 12 episodes in. Yeah, I think I'm 12 episodes in. Uh, the podcast is called Creating Superfans, and it's all about amazing customer experiences. So on the show, I interview executives from some of my favorite brands, um, just people that I think are doing a really great job either with customer experience or employee experience. And the goal is for everybody to leave every episode with some actionable things that they can do right away in their business. So regardless of the industry you're from, I always say experience is everything, experience is everywhere, uh, experience is everyone. So there aren't any good experience takeaways that aren't applicable across whatever vertical or industry that you're in. So that's the goal of the show. I love it. All right. So if you listen to our show and you like our show, when we have an off week because we're inevitably got really busy with a client or something, go tune into Britney's and use Britney's to supplement it. How often do they come out? Is it weekly? <laughs> It's uh yeah, it's weekly. I think so we're we're brand new. We're we're gonna be doing uh ten episode seasons. So I think we have okay. the first eight or nine up right now, and then we're gonna jump right into season two with 10 more. And then I may take a bit of a break because uh, as you know, I've got another big launch that I'm working on my book. Uh, Let's go. My book 
comes out on January 10th. And I have like 15 or 16 speaking engagements in January and February. Like it's absolutely crazy. crazy. I'm everywhere all over the place. So, uh, and they're all, they're all probably in person too, right? Almost all of them. Yeah. I've got that. Well, that's, I I do have three or four virtuals, but that was my in-person number. Like I was, I was talking to Alex on my team yesterday and we were trying to figure out all of the airfare and there's, there's some where it's like, I fly to like five cities before I come home. Like it's, it feels like a tour. (laughs) I love that. Um, all right. We're going to talk about the book in a little bit. I just want to finish on the podcast. So guests like type of guests that you have on the show. Uh, so I've had executives from Disney and Chick-fil-A, uh, and really cool startups and also just really inspiring entrepreneurs. So for instance, I was getting my, my new photography done for my website and for my book. And I was really wowed by the customer experience of the portrait photographer. There were a lot of really smart things that she was doing with some of the drip campaigns that she had put together and the way she was using video. So I invited her to come on the show and she talked about the lead generation that she does and you know her nurture sequences and how now almost a hundred percent of her business is word of mouth and referrals. So she had a lot of great tips. So it's a little bit of a mix of everything. But like I said, people who are doing an amazing job creating memorable customer experiences who have good tips to share that other people can sort of copy from their homework. Okay. So this is one thing that I love about you. Like when you are highlighting best practices, you're not like typical author style where it's like, let me just go find Disney, Chick-fil-A, Ritz. Like those are their usual suspects. You do highlight a lot of stories from your own life, like the portrait photographer. And I love that about you. So I just want to, I just want to give you that shout out. Oh, thank you. Keep going. Uh, well, well, what we are going to do though, we're going to have to, no. <laughs> we're going to have to race though, to see who's going to get somebody on from Bucky's first. I'm rocking oh my, my Bucky, gosh. I'm rocking my Bucky shirt yes. for you today. I love it. Thank you for wearing your Bucky shirt for me. Yes. It's so funny. Um, we always go over the top with our Christmas decorations. We've got lots of inflatables and lights and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, not to brag, but we are five years running HOA champions of our entire, there's, there's like 2,200 houses or something in the HOA, five years in a row. Uh, we've won the lights display, but I must've had like a dozen people text me these Bucky's inflatables. Like they sell inflatable Buckies that are like, I don't know if they're eight feet tall of course or they feet do. tall or what, but like everybody was like, Brittany, you should add this to your Christmas display. So maybe next year I'll have a big inflatable Bucky. Next year, you have to. Well, let's jump in. We've, we've talked enough about the podcast. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Uh, I want to talk about the new book. So uh, let's, let's start here. Maybe we give people an update on the super framework that we had when we, you came on the show last time. We talked about super and what that framework looked like. Maybe we do a quick, quick recap, and then let's talk about what's new in the book. Yeah. Well, so I... I fundamentally believe that your customer experience will live or die based on the way everyone on your team interacts with each other and your customers. Like that's really what the experience is when you break it down. And yet so many teams aren't given training on how to deliver amazing customer experiences. They are sort of just told, you know, okay, go do your job, or they're given lots of trainings in some areas, but none in other areas. And so I wanted to create a framework that was 
simple to remember, simple to implement, simple to teach anyone on your team, and then measure the results. So that's really what I've tried to do with this book, Creating Superfans. And the super framework that you mentioned is the framework that I present in the book and sort of dive really deep into. And again, if if a framework is going to be useful, it needs to be one that's used and it's not going to be used if it's not simple to remember uh, and measure. So super is my super simple acronym for creating super fans or amazing customer experiences. And the acronym stands for start with your story. So all about discovering what it is that makes you the best in the world at what you do, how you're uniquely positioned to serve your customers in a way that no one else can, both at the company level and the individual employee level. So we talk about both of those things in the book. You is understand your customer story. So in that pillar of the framework, I talk about things like empathy and authority, active listening, how to really get to the bottom of what it is that your customer truly needs so that you can meet those needs. P stands for personalize. I like to say that superfans are created at the intersection of your story and every customer's story. So in that pillar, we bring everything together. E stands for exceed expectations and R stands for repeat because amazing customer experiences are not a set it and forget it. You've got to continue uh, to exceed your customer's expectations again and again, because as Elizabeth Arden once said, repetition makes reputation and reputation makes customers. I love it. All right. So we've got that and, and that is in the book again. And so yes. we're just now building onto it because there's a lot of new concepts and new frameworks that you introduce as well. So if you want to learn more about that framework of super, uh, Brittany obviously has a ton of resources through her own website, follow her on social media. You can also check out our last episode with her where we deep dive and unpack each element of uh, that framework. But I want to get into the new stuff. Um, so let, maybe let's start here. So you've got this great analogy of a ladder to super fandom, and it's kind of this, this metaphor for customer apathy. Um, and I think it's really interesting to me because when I, when we were going through it, 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 there's like this one story for me that stands out when I worked at Disney where we had, uh, I was, I was giving some corporate execs a tour of magic kingdom, like underground, the back tunnels to kind of show them how it worked. And it was really hot day. So I went into the store, bought a bunch of water bottles and I'm in a suit and I'm handing it out to the other guys in our group and, and girls in our group. And this random, this random guest comes up to me and just like holds out their hand, like, we'll take one. And I'm like, okay, but you're not, you're not in our group, but they have a level of expectation because they're at a certain point on that ladder that if I don't meet that expectation and exceed that expectation, they're going to drop down. And so that's kind of where this ladder to super fandom that resonated with me. So let's talk about this ladder to super fandom concept. What are the stages and, and how can it be applied to people's businesses? Yeah, well, I love that story. And so I want to know, you, you gave them the water and what they of just course. sort of said thank you and went on their way. Like how did, how did yeah, that play they, out? They literally said thank you and went on their way. Like that's what they expected. They're at that point in their fandom wow. of Disney where they just expect execs to hand them free water. and. If they, if I didn't, right, it would have been, they would have dropped the level had I not given them that water. Right. And, and that was the hardest, that was the thing we always talked about at Disney is like exceeding yeah. expectations gets harder and harder and harder, the better and better that you get. And you have to right, just because those expectations just continue to rise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Well, so the metaphor that I use in the book when I talk about the ladder to super fandom are those carnival ladders. So I love going to carnivals and fairs. Like there is not a single game on the midway. I won't stop and play. And we all know that ladder, right? The rope ladder that is like connected at a single point in the top and the bottom. And you try to climb from the bottom to the top without falling off into the big cushion while strangers point and laugh. And I feel like that's a great metaphor for someone engaging with your brand because the biggest threat to every brand that exists today is apathy. People who just are too busy caring about other things to care about your thing. Like we all have a finite amount of attention, of engagement. And so trying to continue to stay relevant with your target audience, both your existing customers and your new customers, is something that you can never you can never stop trying because the minute you stop trying, you know that ladder gets wobbly, people fall off, yep. uh, and it's game over. So that's that's why I like to use this this analogy of the ladder. And apathy is not just the first rung; it's like everything around us all the time. It's all of the distractions. It's all of the competitors. It's anyone trying to come in and compete for that same mind share. Um, so as you said, when you're At Disney, that's a great example of a brand that has to continue to up the ante because those expectations get higher and higher all the time. But for every brand out there, like I, it's it's funny. I was just um, I was just talking to my cousin who lives in a market with uh, a professional baseball team, and I asked her how many games she went to this year, and she said, "Oh, you know, we we didn't go to any." And I said, you guys go to like 20, 30 games a year. Like, did you get rid of your season tickets? And she said, nah, you know, we just, we just don't like the new stadium. It just doesn't have, it doesn't have the same feel. Like they got rid of all the kids stuff and it's, it's not fun for the family anymore. You know, it used to be so fun to take the kids and hang out. And now it just, you know, it feels, it feels corporate Like we don't, we don't want to go anymore. We're, we're getting into to soccer now because, you know, we never really cared about the pro soccer team, but yeah. that stadium was more geared toward families. So, you know, now we we went to a ton of soccer games uh, over this past year, and I was like, oh wow, you know, it's so there's constantly um, there's constantly a threat that even people who have been loyal to your brand and have spent a lot of money and time engaging with your brand can say, eh, you know what, it just doesn't feel like a fit for me anymore, and mm-hmm. walk away. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's not always due to lack of trying. It's a lot of times it's due to to your point with with what. Uh, the example that you just gave is sometimes it is that the customer's emotions or the things that are important to the customer changes, they evolve. And that is life because as humans, we're constantly changing. And so as an organization, if you stop trying, like if you stop trying to understand your customer's needs, wants, goals, motivation, stereotypes, other things that they're interested in, you're, you're going to lose. And, and that that's the challenge, right? Um, are, okay. So you've got a bunch of levels to this ladder. Are there any stages within the letter within the letters that like you feel like people really get like that's a hard hump to climb? Yeah, so uh, the just from bottom to top of the ladder, it's it's apathy, as I said, is sort of the bottom mm-hmm. rung and everything all around. Uh, and then just to quickly go through them, it's it's awareness, which this is the easiest step. We live in a world where it's so easy to buy eyeballs. Uh, you can't buy you can't buy somebody's affection, but you can certainly buy uh, their attention for long enough to to let them know that you exist. So awareness is that first rung, uh, letting people know what it is that. 
you do. And if you do a good enough job in that awareness step, if you share your story in a way that connects with theirs and makes them say, oh yeah, I want to continue to pay attention to this, that next step is attraction. So that's basically where somebody opts in and says, yes, I'm interested. I want to know more. You know, I, I want to check this out. Um, and then after attraction is the step of action. So every organization can define action differently. It may be that someone has written you a check for the first time. It may be that they've shown up to do something in person for the first time. Uh, it may be that they had a phone call with somebody in your sales department about something. Um, in the book, I talk about how to define each of these steps, uh, what they mean for your organization and how to build the actions around them. Um, but action is essentially where uh, somebody is engaging in a meaningful way with your brand for the first time with like a monetary value attached to it. So they've, they've given you their time or their money. They've said, you know, yes, let me check you out. Now, if somebody continues to do business with you, uh, you move to the adoption phase. And I would say that's probably the biggest hump is yeah. getting from action to adoption. So like somebody has spent money with you once, but now you're getting them to spend money with you again. There are so many tire kickers out there. There's so many people who do something once and say, nah, that doesn't feel great. I'm going to try something else. Um, so I talk about in the book of why it's so critical to not just make that first experience amazing, but then make it to where somebody can't resist coming back a second time. Like, what are you going to do to keep them? And so many businesses spend way more time and attention on attracting first-time customers versus retaining those customers and getting them to come back a second time. So I would say that's probably the biggest, like, gap between the steps on the ladder is between that action rung and that adoption rung. That seems to check out for me too. I mean, I even think about it from like the tech world, right? We, we constantly hear about, you know, CAC, customer acquisition costs, and that's such a key, like a, such a big KPI. And I much less talked about is like, what does it cost to retain a customer, right? And I think, I mean, just think about it for, if you're listening to this, all the amount of softwares that you use that you've purchased but like the onboarding experience, there were no tutorials or the tutorials weren't efficient to how to actually use it and embed it in your life. You buy it once and you cancel that subscription a year later, right? Like it happens all the time and it's every business. I, I, I agree. I think that step's really hard. Well, so, so you got action, adoption, and then let's go through the last couple stages real quick and then we'll move on to something else. Yeah. So after adoption is affinity, that's when somebody likes you. That's when they feel like, uh, yeah, this is a pretty good fit. Um, but that's not the final step. The final step, and this is another, I would say, uh, kind of big step to get from, is from affinity to advocacy. So affinity is they like you, they're coming back. Advocacy is they're not just coming back, they're telling their friends. They're bringing their friends with them. They're out there evangelizing for your brand and, you know, promoting you for free. So obviously advocacy is where we want to get people. That's the top step on the ladder. Uh, and when you've got people there, they're going to be pretty loyal to you. As you said before, David, they're going to have high expectations. They might want that free bottle of water. But if you're smart about it, um, you're doing the types of things to keep those relationships because that, you know, 50 cent bottle of water may be the difference between them coming back and spending another $2,500 with your brand in the next year. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I go back and think about that moment and 
you know, there, there are probably times where that, and maybe not, maybe I'm over, maybe I'm over glorifying what I did in that moment, but you know, there are probably times where they look back at that and they're like, remember that when we just got that free water, like, I don't know, maybe they thought about that for a couple of days, but, uh, it, I bet they right. think about it every day. <laughs> like, oh my God, that, every day that, of their life. that dashingly handsome guy gave us a, a free, free water and it was so great. Anyway. All right, let's keep going. Um, we got a lot to talk about here. You introduced some more frameworks. And I again, I love with your work, you introduce really key frameworks that are easy to remember. And because I think that is a really key point in implementing this stuff, it's got to be easy to remember. Let's talk about story. We introduced another acronym as part of SUPER. Um, let's talk about what are the critical elements of story and how does story play into creating SUPER fans? Yeah. So Super is a little bit like a customer experience traduction. Uh There are frameworks within frameworks. And I mentioned before that the first two steps are start with your story and understand your customer's story. And the framework that I introduce as part of the you pillar um, is the word story. Because when I say understand your customer's story, Obviously, there's like a very surface level that you can, you know, hey, what's going on with you? What's up? But to really take it deeper, uh, to look behind this acronym of story is something that I really wanted to challenge people with in this book. So story stands for struggles, transformation, options, reservations, and then the why is you. So just to kind of quickly go through those, um, when I say to understand your customer's story, what is your customer struggling with? Because it's very likely not like what the surface thing is, right? Like what are the, what are the underlying things that are really um, causing that struggle or creating that friction? Once you start to understand those underlying causes, that's when you really have a better chance at connecting more deeply with that prospect or customer and going from a potential commodity provider who they're going to make a decision about based on timing or cost or convenience to a real commodity, uh, excuse me, to a real category of one. Like this is no longer part of the consideration set. This is the consideration set. I only want to work with this category leader or category of one. So that's the S. What's your, what's your customer struggling with or what's your prospect struggling with? T stands for transformation. What's the transformation that they're looking for? What's the change that will happen as a result of working with you or engaging with your product or service? Uh, in the book, I talk about like the old school TV infomercials and pick any infomercial you want, like any product you want. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. There's always that moment where you've got like, you know, the the black and white uh, shots of like the exasperated, like everything's like way exaggerated, like super hard. And then there's the freeze frame of the person with like the twisted face and black and white. And they like have their hands on their <laughs> face and they say, there's got to be a better way. Right. And then like all of a sudden it's in color again. The miracle product comes in and like everything has changed. Life is better. It's easier now. Like everything is better. Um, that's the transformational moment. Like what is the transformation that your prospect is looking for? What is it that's going to be different as a result of your brand being a part of their life? So that's the T. Um, o stands for options. What are the other options? One mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that the rest of the consideration set is, 
your direct competitors. Uh, mm. So uh, like in the example that I used before, my cousin was like, yeah, we don't go to the baseball games anymore. We go to the soccer games. But it's not just other pro sports teams that are competing for those entertainment dollars for that time for that family outing. It's, you know, Dave and Buster is it's Chuck E. Cheese. It's a concert. It's, you know, just going to the park, going to the movies, like not just your direct competitors. So what are the other options that your customers and prospects are considering? Because it doesn't matter what you would put yourself in the consideration set of, it's what they are considering. So like really, again, understanding who are your competitors, because it's probably a much wider universe than you think it is, which may change the way you talk about the benefits that you offer and the transformation that your product or service is really able to provide. Um, and then R is reservations. What could be keeping the prospect or customer from moving forward? And then finally, why you? Are you the right solution? Like, is your solution the best one? Why or why not? Um, and sometimes it won't be, right? And it's obviously we want to attract the right customers, not every customer. Um, so getting clear on what you bring to the table, are you the right solution for this prospect or customer? And if so, how do you tie those stories together? I love this framework. And I, I'm... I, I, we're going to balance time here, interestingly, because I do want to unpack some of the like common stumbles that people have when they're going through this, uh, if that works for you. Yeah. All right, let's do it. So one of the things, like I think about this story acronym, and I think about a lot of times like in the past where we've created customer personas, if you will, with an organization. And I've heard organizations and I've seen them come to us with, hey, take a look at these great work we've done on our customer personas. And we have to make all kinds of edits, which is fine. But I think something that I'd love your opinion on is when you are, if you're an organization trying to create this story for your, who your customer is, let's think about struggles first. When we think struggles, I think a lot of times people are thinking about it with a narrow framework of just like, hey, what are the struggles that they have when they're using our product or experience or service, right? So like, I'm going to use a sports analogy. So there have been times where a sports team that we're working with is creating a customer persona. And when we introduce struggles or you know roadblocks, whatever term you want to use, they go to, oh, well, we've got long lines. And I'm like, you're thinking too, to me, that's thinking too narrowly. You need to be thinking more broadly into what is the story in this person's life. But I'm curious as to your take as to like how, if somebody's trying to create this story, real, real life, and they're trying to do it for their their customers. Where should they start thinking about it? How narrow or broad should they go when thinking about struggles? So definitely broad. And I love that example, David. Like, do you remember the first time as a kid you ever saw one of your teachers outside of school? And it yes. like blew your mind a little bit because you're like, yes. wait, what? Like they let them leave school? Yeah, right? Like because exactly. yeah, in like, your these mind, are real people? that person only exists at school, like that's your teacher. And so then the first time you see them out at like the grocery store or the movies or whatever, it blows your, your brain a little bit, right? Cause you're like, wait, what? So yes, I think you're right that so many people go too narrow. They forget that these customers have these full lives. They don't, you know, 
cease to exist when they stop interacting with your product. And, and you're right. Long lines, yes, while somebody is there is is uh, a barrier to entry for sure. Um, but how easy or hard it is to get tickets, I would argue, is like a much bigger one. Because I know like there are several times when I've been trying to order something or do something on my phone. And if I get interrupted by my kids, it's like, yep, maybe I'll get back to it. And maybe I won't. Right. Like we live in a world where we expect everything to be easy, everything to be as immediate as possible. So, yes, when you're thinking about the struggles of your customers, you really want to be thinking about those underlying things that exist as a part of their entire life ecosystem or sphere. And a really great way to do it is just to talk to your customers like it has never been easier to get information from your customers, both on a qualitative and a quantitative level, both at scale and in one-to-one -one conversation. So never be afraid to ask your customers, you know, very pointed questions to get answers uh, that you can use to improve your customer experience. What? I'm, I'm, this is my own curiosity going, taking us here, but when we're talking to customers about this type of stuff to try to capture, hey, what are the problems? What are the struggles that you're going on? What are your favorite questions to ask? Because again, on this note with going too narrow, I think people will say, what are your struggles when you're at a game? What are your struggles when you're using our product as opposed to going broader? So like, actually, what are some of your favorite questions to ask that can elicit the type of answers that we're looking for? Yeah, well, so let's say um, well, let's let's stick with the sports analogy. Um, one question um, that you can ask is uh, if you've got somebody who, let's say, has has come to a game for the first time, or you know, bought a suite for the first time, or season tickets, or whatever it is, um, you know, whoever that customer is, but identifying, asking them not just why did you decide, like what made you purchase this, like that's a pretty common question. People are like, oh, well, what what made you decide to to pull the trigger? Then ask, why didn't you pull the trigger in the past? Like, what mm. are some things that maybe kept you from, you know, buying this suite or buying these season tickets or coming to this first game with your kids, whatever it is, like what's kept you from doing it in the past? And then continuing to ask questions from there. If, if they say, you know, oh, well, um, you know, I just didn't have, I just didn't have enough free time. Okay. Well, is it, is it because of, you know, the, the, the timing of the games is inconvenient or uh, you needed to have the schedule further ahead of time? Like, you know, continuing to, yeah. to dive deeper uh, when they tell you why they haven't made that purchase in the past. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about potential answers to that question. I think that's a great question and everybody should write that down if you're listening to it and you're with a sports team, like, because that's, you're going to get answers like, we have a bunch of kids and they have soccer on Saturdays. And so we couldn't come to a college football game because we have kids. And that should start to inform strategy of like, who is our target audience? It's probably not the the group of uh, the family with a group of kids. If we've got college football games on Saturday because they got soccer on Saturdays and that's when recreational sports happen if they're between these ages. And so it can start to inform these type of questions and answers to these store, this story framework that Brittany has can start to shape your strategy for how you market and how you plan. Uh, so I love that. Um, I want to talk about transformation a little bit. Uh, again, a lot of our clients in the sports space, right? But I think this goes for really any kind of luxury or um, discretional income spend, right? Like I think about the infomercial 
type spends. And a lot of those are like products that are better ways of doing things like, oh, you got a leak. You can plug up that hole with this product, right? And now you don't have any leaks. But for discretionary income spends that are more entertainment, how do you position transformation to those clients where they think, well, we don't have that type of transformation? How can you help them think about that differently? Well, I would I would argue that some of the biggest transformations happen with the discretional spend because you can connect on a more emotional level. So let's say you've got, you know, a hockey team. Um, that transformation that a dad taking his teenage son to a game is looking for might be to feel closer to that teenager, to have a better relationship, to to create an environment to where they can connect or talk. Like, again, it's not that surface level transformation. It's what is the benefit that's happening? How is someone's life potentially changing for the better? And so the struggles and the transformation um, are oftentimes like exactly inverse from each other. Like if your transformation can solve that struggle or that problem, that's when you've got like a grand slam, right? Because it's the, the actual inverse. So um, let's say somebody might say, you know, part of the struggle is just like finding the time to go to the game, right? It's just hard. We've mm -hmm. got five people in the family. It's hard to coordinate schedules. It's hard to get us all together. Uh, but when they, it's worth it because that transformation is the way they feel when they're like all driving home in the car together. They've had this shared experience. Yeah. They're closer. So with that insight, then you can say like, okay, well, how are we maximizing this feeling? Like, are we making it easy for, uh, for people to, you know, do like a photo activation, uh, where they're, they're capturing these memories. Are we sending them something to commemorate this experience that they share? Did we make it easy for them all to, you know, buy matching merch or, you know, get food in their seats or whatever it is. So really understanding what is your customer looking for? Like, what is the thing that's going to make them say, wow, that was worth it. I want to come back. I want to do this again. I love it. Um, all right, let's keep moving. A uh, lot of great things there for you. If you're listening to be able to start to apply that into the way that you're marketing, the way that you're approaching your customer experience. So I want to talk about journey maps for a little bit and kind of what your take is on journey maps. It's something that we've done with clients before. Uh, typically when we've done them, we do draw it out a little bit longer than the way that what you've advocated for here. So let's, let's talk about your stance on journey maps and how they can be applied into people's businesses. Yeah. So I feel the way about journey maps, kind of like I feel about exercise programs in that some people need very complex ones, like some people are ready for it, but other people use it as an excuse to like not do anything, right? The people who are like, oh, well, I can't go to the gym because I don't have like a trainer who's mapped out everything I need to do every day for the next year. Yeah. So like, I might as well just like stay on the couch and like eat potato chips. So if you've got a small organization, you do not need to create a journey map that looks like the user manual for a Boeing Dreamliner, right? Um, I am absolutely a fan of journey maps 
when they are easy to understand and easy to use. I am not a fan of people who try to map out every potential thing that could possibly happen with a customer to to say, here's exactly how we're going to respond. Because I think sometimes when people add unnecessary complexity, what it does is it it like takes some of the responsibility for solving problems away from the employees. So oftentimes we try to like train people to follow, you know, these, these complex uh, procedures or, or these, uh, you know, plans that we've put together. And then they like forget to be human. They forget to like give the person the bottle of water because they're like, wait, on page 184 of the like how I give corporate tours manual, like it doesn't address what I do when like a random person asks for a bottle of water. So I'm going to just not do anything. So I think journey maps can be a great thing, um, but it's like pumpkin spice. It's like, you know, it gets overdone. Like when everybody does it. it, it's just yeah, like, I was, I was like, like, where are you no, going with that the pumpkin spice. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's fine in moderation, but like, you know, don't overdo it. Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think customer journey maps are a good tool to help you start thinking and make sure that you're thinking about different elements of your business, but it shouldn't stop you from actually doing the great customer experience and that, that you should be right. Like it should be there to yeah. empower, not to restrict. And it should also be something that is never done. Like that's the other thing. Sometimes I people I see people share. They're like, "Oh, we put together this journey map three years ago, and it's never been updated." And people yeah. aren't really doing a lot with it. It's just this like four hundred cell Excel spreadsheet that like nobody's looking at. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's talk about this. If somebody's trying to make it simple, right? Like, what are the biggest factors that brands should be considering within a journey map and still complete it in a day? So I actually share a framework in the book that takes the ladder to super fandom and the super acronym and sort of uh, puts them on an X, Y axis. Um, so you absolutely can check out creating super fans, how to turn your customers into lifelong advocates for that, for that framework. But I would say if you're trying to do something simple, just ask yourselves or ask yourself, what are the stages of your customer's journey and think like really zoom out because if you think of like before, during, and after, most people spend a hugely disproportionate amount of their attention on the during. So mm -hmm. to use again, the sports analogy, it's like somebody has arrived at the stadium and then they leave the stadium. But for a customer, that's only part of it, right? Everything that happens before, everything, you know, whether it's like the immediate before of parking or driving to the stadium or the, you know, further before that of like, well, how easy is it for me to figure out like whether or not my seats are covered? Uh, you know, is there like a whiteout or something that I need to like wear a special thing? Like, do can I bring in a, a diaper bag or does it have to be a clear bag? Like all of those like before things are part of the customer's experience. And then all well, of the after things. Well, and the, the, that it's, it's funny too, because I think if you're an organization, right, you're tempted to say, what are the things that we have direct control over and let's go improve those things. And people often ignore what they have influence over, but not direct control over. And it's stuff like that, where you mentioned like, what are they packing? Uh, what does traffic look like that people tend to ignore outside of their direct control and, and not in the influence space. So like, even with something like with what you're packing, 
right? And like how that goes, like as part of your email, send like, hey, here's what to pack. Like if this is your first time coming, like that should be part of the customer journey of like the email chain, the onboarding chain. Your first time customer, and this is your first ticket that you've purchased, you should get a series of things of like know before you go type emails, right? And and I think people tend to ignore that a little bit more. Exactly. And to have that on your website to 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 show like, you know, yeah, here like here are the questions that sometimes people have for their first time. And and make it an experience. Like if you've got that page on your website, have a video from somebody in your organization that's recognizable, whether they're an executive or, you know, a player, um, saying, Hey, it sounds like you're going to come hang out with us for the first time. That's amazing. Welcome. We want to make sure that this is an experience you will remember forever. So we've prepared some things that are going to help make it as smooth and as easy as possible. And then just like yeah. link to those things, right? Being, things like- 100%. So I, I travel all the time um, for, for, for my job because I'm a keynote speaker. It's amazing to me when hotels don't have on their website like- how far they are from the airport or like, you know, here, you yeah. know, like sometimes I go to these like random places that I know it's going to be hard to, to get like Ubers or Lyfts. Um, like what are the car services that like are in, in, in the area? Like what are just like things like that, that can make it simpler for somebody like you remember that even like one of my like huge pet peeves that I have um, with hotels is hotels that don't have vending machines. Because a lot of times I'm arriving to a city at like 11 p.m., the gift shop is closed, room service is closed. There's like no way for me to get anything. Like, you know, I, I'll like bring my own snacks and bottles of water because I have to. But um, it, it's, it's like for that hotel to say, oh, you know, we're going to choose not to have the spending machine because we don't want to give up the revenue that we would lose uh, because we're forcing people to like do the more expensive options. In my mind, I'm like, well, this is a hotel I would never come back to unless I have an event here. Like right. I'm not going to bring my family here because they've made it difficult for me unnecessarily. A hundred percent. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about measuring customer experience. Um, you've got two favorite metrics, right? CSAT and EGR. I've never heard of EGR. I love I love CSAT, uh, and I see that uh, Net Promoter Score is not in here. Uh, so let's talk about these two metrics. How organizations can use these metrics? How how they can use these metrics to measure and improve upon their customer experience. Yes. Well, so EGR or earned growth rate is really the evolution of NPS. It's from the same team that developed NPS. The problem with net promoter score is that um, people try to manipulate it, right? Like it's become people yeah. have stopped saying, give me feedback for the purpose of me improving. And it's turned into give me feedback so that I look good. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like every time you get a receipt that's like, hey, leave us a five star review and you can win a hundred dollars. Like, no, like tell me how it actually was because I want to be better. Um, so earned growth rate is simply um a measure of how much of your revenue is coming from customers who came back or customers that you know were referred. So, you know. A thousand dollars of revenue is not equal to a thousand dollars of revenue 
a thousand dollars of revenue. You know what I mean? Like every thousand dollars is not created equal. I would argue that going back to, you know, the conversation before about customer acquisition costs, like if you've got a thousand dollars coming from 10 brand new customers, a hundred dollars each, that's fine, but that's worth much less than knowing that you've got a thousand dollars and that's coming from three customers who've all spent, you know, $300 and change and it's their fifth or sixth time. Like that thousand dollars is worth a lot more than the thousand dollars from 10 new customers. So earned growth rate is simply a measure of how much of your revenue is coming from repeat and referred customers. Um, because NPS is really, um, like it's asking about a hypothetical, like, would you tell your friends versus EGR, which is, did someone spend money because they heard about me from a friend or because they came back? So if I'm if I'm a sports team here, and again, we, we, this is just always the easiest example, right? Uh, I'm then now going to my ticket team and I'm saying, hey, let's break this out. What is our revenue from season ticket holders or whatever it might be? People that are renewing tickets or I, I guess I guess that's how you would split it up, right? You'd say, hey, let's go with people that are renewing, break that out. And that's part of our earned growth rate versus uh, people that are buying for the first time, even if it's just within season tickets. And you can break it up probably group by group to say our earned growth rate with this group is X. Our earned growth rate with this group is Y. Is that is that kind of, am I thinking about it in the right way? You're thinking about it exactly right. Yes. And so okay. to set goals, to say how much of your revenue uh, in each one of those categories do you want to be from repeat or referred customers every year. Because what happens is as your EGR goes up, your customer acquisition cost goes down. That makes sense. I I need to think a little bit more about EGR and maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll do like a 15 minute call and just do this after I've thought about this. Because I'm thinking about it from a from a sports team specific and I'm going down this rabbit hole so we don't have to keep going. But uh if you're a single game ticket holder, you're probably going to spend more on your per caps, right? You're going to buy that hot dog. You're going to buy that hamburger because it's an experience. But if you're a season ticket holder, you've brought all that stuff, you're tailgating, right? So you're spending less on a per day. I don't know. I, I need to think about how we actually implement EGR into into things. I'll, maybe I'll get with our, our guys and figure it out. So, Well, yes, let's definitely have a call and we can talk about it. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's move in here uh, to kind of our, our last set of questions. Um, I want to talk about employees. Uh, obviously, you can't create a great customer experience without employees. And I think a lot of times organizations say, let's create super fans out of customers. But in order to do that, you really got to be doing it with employees too. Um, and I think one of the easiest ways to do that is just like, how do you identify them, right? For us at Disney, it was cast members. Starbucks has partners. Chewy has Chutopians. Target has team members. So like, why is the name so important to creating super fans when you're talking about employees? Well, the name is important because it represents something bigger. And that's what does it feel like to be a part of your team? What is the reality of being a part of that team every day? So you will never have your employees treat your customers better than they are treated. Your employee experience is always going to determine how strong your customer experience is. Like it's impossible to have a better employee or a better customer experience than your employee experience. Facts. 
Uh, well, there's, there's a quote in the book that I want to call out on this note. So it's while customers give you their time or while customers give you their money, employees give you something far, far more valuable, their time and their talents. So how can organizations better recognize this? Are there any organizations that you've seen in your, your time that do this really particularly well? Yes. Sorry. I don't know why my dog is going crazy. You guys. <laughs> good. You're good. I'm you like, have a dog. It, it happens. I, <laughs> go, go, go for it. Go for it. Um, yes. So um, again, the same way that your customers exist outside of their relationship with your brand, your employees exist outside of the hours that they're working. So what are you doing to recognize the fact that they have a life beyond you know, that time they're spending with you? What are you doing to recognize their life events? How are you helping them with things that matter? I've had, um, you know, clients that, that I've worked with do amazing things like um, give give employees time off work when they adopt a new pet, um, clean everybody's cars, get their cars detailed on Mother's Day or Father's Day, hire uh, people to clean their homes once a month, just as a perk saying, hey, we know it's an extra stressful season right now at work. There's so much going on. We're going to uh, send you a home meal delivery kit uh, every, you know, twice a week for the next two months to help you get over this, this hump of like committing all of this extra time or mental energy to the job. So really just taking care of your employees, making them feel like they matter, making them feel like the most important part of your organization, because of course they are. And again, it's like a lot of the super fan concepts that Brittany and I have talked about on this, on this episode, all can be applied to your employees and they should be applied to your employees first and foremost. Um, all right. What's one thing we haven't covered? Is there anything you want people to know before they go out and buy the book on January 10th? Um, you know, I would say so many of us grew up following the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's a great rule, great advice. But in the book, I build upon something uh, that a guy named Dr. Tony Alessandra wrote about way back in the 90s, and that's the platinum rule. He said, don't treat others the way you want to be treated because not everybody wants to be treated the same way as you. And not everybody wants to be treated the same way, period. So treat others the way they want to be treated. Take the time to understand how every segment of your employees and your customers wants to be treated and then treat them that way. And you will create loyal advocates who want to come back again and again and tell their friends. I love it. It's a great spot to end us. Uh, Brittany, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Looking forward to our next convo. Um, where can people go out and buy the book and pre-order it? You can get the book everywhere books are sold. So whether that's your favorite in-person bookstore, uh, indie bookstore, chain, Amazon, it's available everywhere. I am very biased, but I love the beautiful hardcover version because it's printed in full color. Uh, but it's also available as an ebook and an audiobook. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. Uh, so if you're listening to this, just open it up, check out the show notes, go buy the book. It's awesome. Uh, We've, we've, we got uh, advanced copies. Thank you, Brittany, for that. Uh, and obviously, like, just tremendous book. You guys should go check it out. Uh, but Brittany has other resources as well. I think your low-key, I think your LinkedIn newsletter is very good. Um, Thank you. So Thank we'll, you. Put, we'll put some show notes into those <laughs> things as well. But any, where can people follow along your journey? BrittanyHodak.com. Perfect. And we'll put, we'll, we'll put links to your socials in there as links, well. Links. All the links. 
All the links. I have, a, I have a very good name for SEO. There aren't a lot of Brittany Hodaks. So I'm at Brittany Hodak just about everywhere. Whatever your favorite social is, I'm probably at Brittany Hodak. Yeah, I got to say, when we created the company engagement, we weren't really thinking about SEO. And uh, there, there's a lot of wedding stuff that pops up before us uh, when, you search, <laughs> when you search for engagement. So anyway, uh, Brittany, as always, awesome having you. To everybody listening, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.